Warning, this podcast may contain graphic and triggering content. Please listen at your own risk. Each individual struggle is different and everyone's recovery and healing journey is different. Please reach out to a certified medical professional if you need help. Welcome to episode 8 of Stomp the Stigma, the podcast aimed to fight the stigma surrounding mental health through education, awareness, experiences, stories, resources, and the vulnerable truth. Joining me to Stomp the Stigma today is my friend Max Hall. He is a personal trainer and fitness and anime lover. He has been through so much in his mental health journey and he is here to share his entire story with us today for the first time. He's here to share his whole journey and how he has overcome and moved forward from all the trauma that he has faced throughout his life. Hello. Hi. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm good, thanks. Uh, Well, first of all, I want to thank you so much for, um, I guess, starting your own podcast. Um, You got me into podcasting and you gave me all the information that I needed to start this thing and I'm so so happy um so thank you so much because I I wouldn't be here uh where I am without you you're very welcome and well thank you for taking the inspiration from my podcast and starting your own podcast and you know I think what you're doing here is really amazing I've been listening to every episode and I'm really proud of what you've done. I think there's a lot of need for a podcast in this because I think uh, similar to your story growing up, there wasn't a whole lot of um, information and I guess acceptance around some of the stigma of mental health. So I know growing up, I felt very alone, very much like an outcast and very much like it wasn't okay to talk about the different things that I was going through. And that lonely feeling led me to a lot of really dark places. So I think Mm -hmm. that, you know, I'm thankful that I can come on and share my story because hopefully even if my story only reaches one person and shows them like, Hey, you're not alone. There's other people going through this and it's okay. There's resources out there if you need them. And, you know, just for somebody to feel accepted and heard and understood in a way, if, you know, that saves one life or makes one person feel that they can hang on for even just one more day. Um, that would make me really happy because I know I've been in some pretty dark places in my life and it's not a good feeling. So I'm thankful that you are letting me come on and tell my story so that I can help other people in that same type of way that, you know, I've been able to help myself, I guess, but hopefully this is a tool that helps people earlier and better. So (laughs) people have better resources like this. So I'm really proud of you for doing this. Like I said, yeah. Well, thank you. I mean, that's the whole premise behind the podcast is if I can help even one person, then it's worth it, right? Absolutely. So that's Absolutely. why I wanted to start it in the first place. So yeah. um, have you yeah. ever shared your story before? Like the so, whole thing? Hmm. In 
certain contexts. So on a platform, like a podcast available out for the public, yeah. no, this will be the first <laughs> time I've shared my story front to back. Yeah. Um, I have shared bits and pieces of my story um, on my own podcast as yeah. it kind of pertains to health and fitness, because, you know, my podcast is kind of structured around health and fitness as well as anime. Um, but I have shared my story on my podcast. I've shared my story on a few other people's podcasts, just kind of the bits and pieces that pertain to yeah. fitness and my fitness journey. And as it pertains to kind of whatever I'm talking about, um, I've shared my story with like different individuals and in individual senses. And I've always kind of shared bits and pieces of my story with um, different clients coming in. And I've found that that was a very helpful for me because when I first started as a personal trainer, so first, first off, I'd like to say that I love my job as a personal trainer. Um, I love connecting with people and I love getting to help people, but I found that that connecting piece um, was missing for me when I first started as a personal trainer. I wasn't really getting to the deep root of being able to help people. Yeah. And I found when I started sharing the pieces of my story that pertain to why I became a personal trainer with my clientele right off the hop when I was first meeting them, it allowed me to connect with them on a deeper level and allowed them to feel safer and more trusting of me. Mm -hmm. And that um, it allowed me to feel vulnerable with them and allowed them to feel vulnerable with me and share parts of their own stories with me that allowed me to better help them not only with their physical health, with, but with their mental health as well. And that's kind of where my whole mantra came from of mental health through physical health and yeah. helping people through exercise and um, just communication and doing what I do to help people better their mental health. So um, yeah, long-winded answer to no, I've never shared my whole story front to back. Um, this will be the, the first time. Wow, so. I love it. That's the same for me. I've only ever really shared like bits and pieces. So recording that episode for me was so hard. I was like, wow, I've never actually gone through the whole story from the beginning. Um, but hopefully... <laughs> We can get through the whole thing with you. <laughs> yes, I mean, I mean, there's a lot, so yeah, hopefully exactly. it doesn't uh, it doesn't end too long winded. But um, okay. I am I am excited. Obviously, there's an element of um, fear to sharing my whole story yeah. and opening up and being that vulnerable. But like I said, I'm very passionate about helping people overcome their own mental health journeys um, through not only physical health, but as well as sharing my story and being available and vulnerable with people. So this is something that I want to do. So like I said, even if it only helps one person hearing my story motivates, inspires, or just makes somebody feel not so alone, to me, that's 100% worth it and worth all of the vulnerability of um, putting myself out there like that. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And in a way, it's like, it's therapeutic for us as well. Even just talking yeah. about your own story and getting it out there and like being honest with yourself, I guess. Um, I find that helps a lot. I agree 100%. And the more I've kind of shared my story and opened up about everything, the more I've kind of came to terms with some of the, I guess, messier parts of my past that maybe yeah. I didn't want to accept. And the more I've been able to kind of accept myself for who I am and love myself. So that's a huge part of it, yeah. too. I would agree with you 100%. That element of sharing is also huge. So that's maybe another takeaway of the podcast as well for people if, you know, you are worried about sharing your story obviously start small but there is an element of the more you share it and the more comfortable you get with sharing it the 
easier it gets and the more you're able to kind of accept your story so yeah absolutely I mean talking about it on the podcast and everything I've even now I've learned so much more about myself and what I've gone through and kind of understanding all of it it's it's crazy I've I've had major realizations about the things that I've been through (laughs) that I never realized before I've had similar even like like I said, with the parts of my story I've shared, the people I've shared it with, um, I believe like a lot of self acceptance is realizing that even though you might not like the past experiences you've gone through and you you would not wish them upon yourself again yeah. or wish them upon anybody else, yeah. going through them and accepting them as part of your past that builds you into who you are today and learning from those experiences, really what self-acceptance is about and how mm-hmm. you can really come to terms with loving yourself and liking who you see. Like there's a lot of my parts that I pat uh, my past that I just really don't like about myself or don't like hearing. Um, but I did learn a lot from them and they have molded me into the person I am today. And I'm very proud of the person I am today. I do feel that I'm a very amazing person with a lot to give. I've helped a lot of people through, you know, my personal training, um, through, you know, my podcast and sharing my story with people and through a variety of other different things. Um, I've helped a lot of people. I've been a very present and, you know, good partner for people. I've, molded myself into this person that I'm very proud of and I would not be this person if it wasn't for all of those experiences that I've gone through in the past no matter how good or shitty they might be mm-hmm. so I find a lot of people um, get hung up on the past and what you need to realize is that yes this happened to you and there's nothing you can do about it but just understanding how it has affected you and how you've reacted to it um, can help you move forward like so much. Oh, and it, it's a ton. As, as soon as you start like saying things like that, there's an element of you l- learn that it can just be a thing that you say, a thing that you've mm-hmm. been through, but that thing that you've been through doesn't have to define you and keep defining you. It can exactly. be a past experience that you can let go of yeah. and learn from and accept. It doesn't make it any less you know, shitty and horrible and crappy, but it's something that you can accept as part of yourself that needed to happen in order for you to move on from it and become a better version of yourself and a version of yourself that you can love and accept. And Mm -hmm. it's hard. It's really hard to do that sometimes. Like there's some really horrible, traumatic things that people go through. And I I won't pretend that my trauma is the same as anybody else's. And it can be really, really hard to look at something that is that horrible and traumatic and spin it in a positive light that makes sense. And sometimes you just can't, and that's okay. There's nothing wrong with that too. But I have found that for myself, that's been a huge part of my um, just growth and learning process and my self-acceptance process has been, you know, going through those shitty things and then just really looking at them and being like, okay, well, that happened. I accept it happened. I can't go back in the past and make it not happen. But what can I learn from this and grow from this so it doesn't happen again or so I don't do it to other people or whatever it might be? There's, It's hard to say it that way. But for me, no matter how traumatic an experience has been, there's always been a way to overcome it in some way shape or form and I think that can be said for a lot of people and 
for a lot of people that can take a really long time and there's nothing wrong with that taking a really long time. It's okay to, you know, accept yourself for who you are and just let it take its time to sink in and settle in and to learn some of those lessons. Mm -hmm. But having that mindset alone of, you know, accepting those parts of your past and learning from them rather than letting them drag you down like anchors pulling you to the bottom of an ocean can be a really big part of you know helping you manage your mental health in a better way absolutely absolutely so i i mean i don't know any of your story really i just know that you have a story (laughs) yeah um yeah take me back to the beginning i guess like where did this all start yeah, so the beginning. So I guess for me, um, I've struggled with depression as long as I can remember. I still struggle with it. I'm not going to sit here and pretend that I'm perfect and I've overcame depression. That's not how depression works. I still yeah. have days I struggle. But I think as far back as I can remember, um, I've remembered feelings of feeling depressed and feeling sad and feeling lonely and feeling like an outcast. So um, I do remember that there was a part of elementary school where I didn't feel like that, but I can't recall those feelings and I can't recall those memories. The earliest memories and feelings that I can recall are of um, being made fun of for being the weird kid and feeling like an outcast and feeling like um, nobody likes me. So that really weighed heavy on me as I kind of moved into, um, you know, ele- uh, middle school, and I constantly felt like there was something wrong with me. Like I didn't know how to com- um, communicate with the other kids. I didn't know how to connect with the other kids. Um, I didn't know how to express my feelings. And I felt really sad and really depressed. And um weirdly enough i thought that the answer to all of my problems growing up was getting a girlfriend was getting a girl to like me which is just the weirdest thing and obviously like um i now have came to accept like you have to accept yourself before anybody else will accept you but um that will kind of tie later into the story that i felt like that was the answer to all of my problems was instead of accepting myself I would start to accept myself once somebody else accepted me in that way. Um, So I did have a few close friends that really accepted me, but for some reason, instead of being able to focus on those positive relationships, all that I would be able to focus on was how weird people thought I was, how unaccepted people thought I was, how, you know, these perceptions of myself and even looking back on it, a lot of that was probably self-imposed by those feelings. And if I had just opened up and allowed myself to be myself, probably more people would have accepted me. But because I was that weird kid that always thought that there was something wrong with me, other people are like, why is this like person like always just like hanging around and like lurking around? Like what's going on? And I didn't know how to communicate or express any of those emotions. So um, I, I actually have um, like when I recall my own story, I've wondered back if maybe I was a little bit um, um, autistic or somewhere on the spectrum mm-hmm. uh, because I've heard about other people that find out later in their life that they've had similar experiences to that that have found out similar things. So that's not something I've really looked into, but it mm-hmm. has been something that I've wondered about um, when I have heard people that have gone through similar experiences. But um, moving on, um, 
the feelings continued on into high school and I, you know, kept feeling like an outcast. I kept feeling lonely no matter how many close good friends I had. I kept feeling unaccepted. I kept feeling like nobody wanted me and I kept kind of, I found outlets to better manage it, but at the same time I struggled with it more than I ever had in my life. So I wasn't sure what those feelings were. I wasn't sure how to deal with them. I wasn't sure how to communicate with them. And I felt very alone because I very much grew up in a era and what I would argue is probably the last era where it wasn't okay to talk about those things. Mm -hmm. um, I very much grew up in a household where if there was, if you had mental health issues, there was just something wrong with you and you just needed to man up through it. Yeah. And, you know, like bless my parents and bless my family. Um, they have grown past that. They've b become much more understanding and accepting, even without knowing my story. Um, they have grown up and they've kind of realized more of the facts about that. They're, they're good people, but that was just how society was yeah. when I was of that age, when I was in that middle school and high school age. So it wasn't really accepted to talk about those things or say you needed a counselor or say that you're depressed or say that you're sad or say that you feel lonely. And maybe if it was, I would have been able to get more help and get a better handle on what was going on with me and get a little bit more help. But instead, I just tried to hide it all the best that I could. And um, I tried to outlet it into things that weren't necessary, necessarily very healthy. So I played a lot of sports, but an issue that I ran into is I tied in a lot of my self-worth with those sports. Mm -hmm. So instead of just enjoying them and having fun and enjoying the moment and accepting things as kind of whatever way they were, which I probably would have been you know, more successful and it would have caused less anxiety and um, harmed me more in the long run if I had had a little bit of a better mentality with it. Instead, I tied my whole self-worth to those sports and every mistake I made um, would be kind of held against me. Like I'm a bad person. I'm a horrible person. And all of my self-worth was um, tied to those mistakes. Mm -hmm. And then another outlet that I had found was um, fitness. I started working out when I was in grade nine but I didn't necessarily use it in a healthy, objective way that I do now. And part of the reason I'm able to teach people how to use it in a healthy, objective way is because I've made some of those mistakes. So yeah. my answer was the crappier I felt about myself, the more I would exercise and the more harm and damage I was doing to my body. I wasn't getting yeah. real results, but it was just something where it's like the sadder, the more depressed I got, the more I felt I needed to do. And that, that wasn't getting me results. So it wasn't actually helping with any like body image. Mm -hmm. And even with like body image, like this is something I say to people all the time is no matter what kind of results you get in the gym, you will always have further to go. There will always be more steps up you can take and you can always nitpick and find things that you hate about yourself. So the better strategy is instead of nitpicking those things, saying, I love myself for who I am, I accept myself for who I am, and I want to improve on things for from a place of love 
and wanting to help myself, not from a place of negativity. And I hate this. So I want to make it better. Mm -hmm. So at the time, that's very much the mindset I had is I hated myself. I hated my body and I was very depressed. So I just continued exercising more and more and more, um, trying to fix the issue. That wasn't actually a a fix of the issue. Mm -hmm. Um, it was just kind of an outlet along those lines. Um, you know, like I mentioned before, for some reason during this time, um, I thought that if I could get a girl to like me, if I could get a girlfriend, um, I would be able to fix all of my mental health issues. I would be accepted. I would be popular. Um, people would like me and I would like myself. So I got into some toxic, unhealthy relationships. And um, I think, you know, those people were also in negative places. And Mm -hmm. I think I attracted a lot of those people because I was in such a negative place myself. And when those ended badly, it would just drive me into an even further negative emotional state. And I didn't know how to manage those emotions. I didn't know how to deal with them. So um, somewhere along the lines, one of those people had been somebody who um, self-harm themselves. They, they cut themselves. So when I realized that they did that, I thought maybe that would be a way for me to manage my emotions as well. And I began, I began self-harming myself and cutting myself and the emotions got so bad. The depression got so bad and my ability to manage it got so bad that, um, I decided I wanted to commit suicide. And I think the suicidal thoughts had come before the self-harm had started. Mm -hmm. Um, It was kind of a spiraling thing. I think even now, some of those feelings still come from time to time. They're further in between and I have much better strategies to manage them now. But um, I've always kind of had those suicidal thoughts of, well, maybe it'd be better off if you were just dead. Um, So when I started self-harming, that was something that was like, okay, well, um, here's a way to do it. If you actually feel that way, here's a way that you can actually end your life. So I attempted several times throughout high school and pretty much spiraled into a worse and worse um, mental state and never really fixed any of the issues. I just kind of pushed them along and thankfully survived through all of those. Um, you know, anytime I'd hit that point, I harmed, but I was never able to harm to the point of actually being in any danger. I was able to stop myself before being any, in any danger and somehow snap out of that state. Even though if I thought that it was better that I was dead, um, there was still feelings of, well, maybe I should just last one more day. Um, and sometimes, sometimes people helped me through those, um, some close friends and stuff like that. And mm-hmm. sometimes it's just something where I was very alone and just <laughs> to be honest, probably just lucky. Um, so after that, um, sports were a big part of my life. And like I said, um, even though it maybe wasn't in a healthy way, it was, something that I felt like I needed to be accomplished in in order to feel like I was becoming a better version of myself. So um, because I tied so much of my self-worth to sports, I decided that I needed to be a 
university football player. I needed to play college football, specifically in the States, um, because I felt like if that's something I could accomplish, I would feel better about myself. And to an extent, that was definitely true. And I did learn to value a lot of hard work, but there was also some some unhealthy things that happened with that. And I had to learn some lessons about perseverance and sticking to my guts. So when I decided I wanted to be a university football player, I reached out and sent emails to over 500 schools throughout the United States saying that I wanted to play college football at, at their school and sent them, you know, film. I ended up getting reached back to about back to by about 10 of them and i had offers to play from about three of them and ultimately i picked a school that i thought was good for me and um you know i i went to that school um <laughs> I, I had um so i made it as a university football player but um there's a lot of fights with my parents along that lines um where they're like like you don't have to do this like you can do other things in your life and I think they were trying to be reasonable and respectful of me but because I had tied so much of my self-worth to that needed to happen and I needed to follow through with that that there was no seeing anything outside of that I think that's been a, a big change in my life that even if I'm dead set determined on achieving something um, I do always see the other side of the coin and I always try to look at the other side of the coin of like, well, even if this doesn't happen, that's okay. But growing up, there was none of that for me. It was um, failure or or like success or failure meant being overcome uh, by the depression, the anxiety and all of the negative thoughts. So when people try to speak reason to me and be like, you know, like you, you don't have to go play college football, like maybe there's better options for you because so much of my self-worth was tied to that. I was like, no, this is the only option. There's no other way. Um, without this, I'm a horrible human. I deserve to be dead. There's something wrong with me. So that sparked a lot of emotional responses. When people tried to speak any type of reason to me, I would lash out with anger because my whole self-worth was tied to achieving and accomplishing whatever that task was. So I went to go play college football. And while there, um, my mental health briefly got better. Um, I did stop um, harming myself for a while. I had achieved a major life goal of mine to even go out there and play it, even though it was super scary and scared the shit out of me. And I almost passed out on the first day of like meetings because I had like so much anxiety and so much terror that like I was in a new country, mm -hmm. I was in a new place. Um, like all of this was happening. So informa much information was coming at me. Everybody was so big. Like um, I, I like almost blacked out. Like it was, it was horrible. But um, the head coach on the team is like, well, he's like, just try to make it a, a few days if you can. He's like, things will calm down in a few days. And that was actually really good advice because I kind of pushed some of those feelings aside and just focused on whatever task was in front of me for a few days. And after a few days, I definitely settled a lot of the anxiety and a lot of the emotions I was able to just kind of come into my own. Um, while there, 
I was much more accepted by people than mm-hmm. I had ever been in my life. And I had a lot of friends and that felt really good that I was able to finally start connecting with people on a way that I felt that I hadn't before. Um, I maybe connected with um, a small group of people on that type of level, but not a whole ton. I also realized I'm forgetting something, so I'm going to go back to uh, high school a little bit. Um, one of, another thing that caused me a lot of um, depression and anxiety in high school was I had a best friend named Greg at the time and in at the end of middle school. And he was seen as kind of a weird or uncool kid like I was, but I was so dead set on, determined on trying to be popular and trying to be a cool kid that I had cut him out of my life. And at the start of high school, within the first week, um, him and his mom had committed suicide because they had lost his dad earlier that Mm -hmm. year. And um, (laughs) I... I held a lot of uh, burden and bared a lot of that, that um, I had maybe not treated him the best before all of that. So that's also something that caused a lot of depression and weighed a lot of burden on me um, going through high school and um, has for a long period of time. But um, continuing on uh, in university, um, things got a little bit better and um, I made a lot of really good connections and felt like I was connecting with people better than I ever had in my life and made not just a few close friends, but what I felt was a lot of fairly close friends. And I I did feel really accepted, which was really weird for me for the first time in my life. But um, there were still a lot of emotions of depression. Um, I wasn't self-harming myself. And the suicidal thoughts were coming, but at the time, because I was in a better mental state, I was doing a better job at managing them and, you know, keeping myself safe. Um, But the big thing that kind of had remained, and thinking back, a lot of this probably stemmed from the fact that society and maybe people above you tell you that what you have to do in life is you have to get into a relationship, you have to get married, and you have to kind of follow this societal norm of what they believe the relationship path has to be. Mm-hmm. And because I believed that there was something wrong with me if I didn't feel like that, I tied a lot of my self-worth into being accepted by um, you know, some like some type of partner, some type of girlfriend, I needed to be in a relationship. So I was very desperate to be in a relationship. And I still, even though I was more widely accepted by um, friends, I still really struggled with um, communicating and connecting with anybody on a relationship front. I still very much um, lacked self-worth and self-confidence and struggled with that part of my life. So um, unfortunately, because I was in such a bad state, I was also very vulnerable in a negative way to let people into my life that weren't there for good reasons, that weren't yeah. there to be positive and helpful and kind 
in caring, I unfortunately attracted somebody that felt like my lack of self-confidence and my lack of self-worth was a made me a candidate to be somebody who was very easily manipulated into whatever they wanted me to be, which um, is really unfortunate. It's something I got into. Um, and had I had more um, self-worth and more self-respect like I do now, that's not a position I would have let myself be in or be treated like that. So this person entered my life and because I was so desperate to get into a relationship, I let them enter my life even though they didn't treat me super, super well. So <coughs> at the start, I maybe thought back a little bit and said like, no, you can't treat me like this. But they would kind of respond back with apologizing and then backtracking a little bit and then this slowly chipping away until it felt like I was so trapped that the only answer was to um, subdue to whatever they felt was, was good for me, I guess. So I kind of lost my whole sense of being. They had told me that I wasn't allowed to be friends with any of the people I was friends with. So I lost that connection. Um, I wasn't allowed to exercise and take care of myself because they did not like what they did to that to my body and my body was not for me, it was for them. Um, they had told me that I wasn't allowed to look at or communicate with any other woman, period. Um, uh, so, and then some of that ended up molding into um, physical abuse as well as the mental abuse and a lot of really trauma, a traumatic stuff. I wasn't allowed to communicate or be around my family. And she kind of chipped away at all of this with um, playing into that um, role of what society had told me I needed with a relationship. So you're supposed to be loyal and 100% devout to this person um, over yourself is a lot of things you'll hear people mm -hmm. um, say, and that's complete bullshit. You, I strongly believe that you have to take care of yourself before you can take care of another person. And if a person expects you to put them over you, that's an unhealthy relationship in a lot of ways. Mm -hmm. um, uh, being with somebody should mean you should prioritize yourself and your own mental well-being and share things with the other person, not be that person's servant or slave, I guess. So because I didn't feel the way that I feel now, the way that I just presented at the time, because I felt that my job in a relationship was to serve, um, because I felt so unworthy and I felt like I had to just give and give and give to keep somebody around. She had kind of manipulated that into, well, in order to best serve me, you have to promise that no matter what, you'll never leave. That's, that's the power she wanted over me. So no matter how she treated me, she wanted me to think that I never had the ability to walk away and that I was not doing my duty by walking away, no matter how she treated me or what happened. Um, 
on top of that, she would use her past traumas as an excuse to treat me poorly. So she would say like, well, somebody in my past did this, which is why you're not allowed to do this. You know, I've been cheated on in my past. You're not allowed to look at, check out, or talk to other women. You're not allowed to have female friends. You're not allowed to communicate with any other females. You're not allowed to hang out with friends that um, might lead you to hanging out with other females. Mm -hmm. So you're not allowed to have any of your friends because, you know, football players are uh, playboy womanizers. So you're not allowed to hang out with any of your, your football buddies. Um, you know, you're not all, yeah, just it essentially wasn't allowed to do anything. You're not allowed to hang out with your family because they, they say bad things about me. And obviously, um, I'm the best for you and I have your best interest in mind. Um, and they're just trying to get you to walk away from me. So you're not allowed to communicate with your family. Um, so that made me feel trapped. And I kind of bite in, bought into that after so many months of hearing it, that it's what I began to believe. And I felt so trapped that I couldn't get away. And I would essentially just put up with anything, including physical abuse and um, sexual abuse and all kinds of trauma at one point in time this is a story i tell people to kind of illustrate the point of how bad it got is um, she told me that i was not worthy of using the toilet so i had to go out into the woods and um you know <laughs> go to the bathroom in the woods i had to shit in the woods um because i was not worthy of using a toilet simply because i was a man and simply because of um, you know, past traumas that other people had done to her. Um, wow. It was, you know, there was like, I think it was something along the lines of, um, I had sent out an email trying to sell a snowboard without asking her permission. So that made me a shitty human. And that's what led to her being like, yes, I can treat you however I want to treat you until you earn my trust back for doing something like that. Um, so, and then after doing that, whenever I would have to go and use the bathroom, she would lock me outside and I would have to sit out there and wait for her to let me in for sometimes up to hours on end. Oh and then God. on top of that, she would leave me in the apartment with um, one meal to last like a week. And I would have to <laughs> essentially last off of one meal and maybe two and a water for a week at a time. And I wasn't allowed to leave the apartment. There was a tracking app on my phone that I had to keep constantly updated. I had to constantly send pictures of myself to confirm that I was... Uh, by myself and not doing anything so it was it was some pretty hardcore stuff uh, I was really traumatic and mm. I struggled with um, a lot of different things for a very long time but ultimately I that put me in a really dark place and because of my depression because of my suicidal thoughts um, because of everything that I'd been through up to that point, the only way out at that point in time felt like it was killing myself. Mm -hmm. So um, in order to try to make that happen um, several times, I um, started off with um, with a... So at the time, I was trying to figure out my depression because... Um, I, you know, I, I thought that the 
she had told me that the issue was with me and not with her. And even though my depression was getting worse, it was something that I needed to handle, which isn't completely false. But, you know, if I'd actually fixed my depression, the first thing I would have done is had some self-respect and walked away. Mm -hmm. But I was trying to get help um, regardless because I was trying to fix some of these feelings that I wasn't sure where they were coming from. And because a lot of them were in my past, um, I was like, okay, well, I have depression. I should go see somebody. So I'd gone to a counselor, a uh, therapist, and I'd had a depression medication prescribed to me. And I, um, I was going to take that depression medication. And then she had told me that I wasn't allowed to take the depression uh, medication because um, one of the side effects was potentially ED and she wasn't okay with that. So she had told me that that wasn't something that I was allowed to do. So I did not take um, the, the medication until one day came around where I took all of the medication. I felt oh so depressed and so trapped and she had treated me in such a way and made me feel that it was my problem that I felt the only way out was killing myself. So I had, um, I had taken all of the medication all in one route and attempted to kill myself. Thankfully, um, my body decided that it was not the day and, um, I ended up vomiting up a lot of the medicine, but I still remember it being one of the scariest instances of my life because I remember laying on the couch and um, I remember fading in and out of consciousness and feeling like I could feel my heart beating so slow that I wasn't sure if it had actually stopped or not because sometimes there was such long times in between when I could feel my heart beating and when I couldn't, wow. and I felt like my consciousness was like leaving my body. It's probably like the closest to death I've ever felt. And um, out of those memories, um, I remember that I couldn't really formulate sentences or words because I was having like a drug overdose and I can't really remember a lot. But one thing that I do distinctly recall is looking over to the chair beside me where one of my roommates at the time, who I considered to be a really good friend, um, I looked over at him and I just remember he was as pale as a ghost and he had absolute fear in his eyes and what I did to him was really unfair to make him witness that. Mm -hmm. um, he had lost a friend to um, suicide in high school. So I was making him relive a lot of traumas as well as somebody that he had cared about was going through that right there. And I, I wouldn't let him call the hospital to check me in. So I, I heard him really bad and that's something that I really regret about the whole situation. There's a lot of regrets that I have, but that's something that I recall seeing his face and seeing what he looked like and not being okay with the way that I made him feel and the things that I put him through um, in that experience. So that led to um, my uh, partner at the time, my girlfriend at the time, um, my abusive ex, um, coming and essentially sexually assaulting me the next day um, and 
going through all kinds of other things when I recall it all, um, very bad experiences, things that should not have happened the day after going through a drug overdose and not being there for the person that in the way that you should be there for a person going through that. Mm-hmm. But because I tied so much of my self-worth to the, to having a relationship and being part of that, um, the fact that she showed up at all made me feel cared for in some type of fucked up way where I wasn't actually cared for, but I felt cared for um, enough that I kept going with the relationship and still felt trapped. So the next time that it occurred, um, probably a couple weeks later, is... um, she had, uh, we had gotten into another fight or something like that about something. Um, and again, I felt the only way out was to kill myself. So this time I had attempted to do it by cutting and, um, kind of really butchered myself up quite a bit. Um, and it had seemed like she didn't care. So, um, I was really scared for my life and I figured I really needed help. So I had called the kind of residential advisor at the time and, um, told her what was going on. And then I had got checked into the hospital for, um, you know, attempting to kill myself. So they brought me into the hospital. They, Uh, assessed me, saw that I had been harming myself and checked me into the psych ward, which was really scary, Um, but probably also good for me in a way. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that fear, um, for better or worse, made me feel like, um, at least at the end of all this, that Um, I needed to do something. I needed to care about myself a little bit better. Um, There was a lot of very freaky people there. There was kind of two sides. So there was one side that was all like um, very gray. You didn't really have access to anything. Like everything was like bolted down. It was pretty much for the high risk people that they felt like could harm themselves. So everything was a safety measure. You were constantly monitored. So while there, um, she had reached back out to me and apologized. And again, just did the bare minimum that she needed to do to make me feel like I was still stuck and like I still needed to stick around and um, needed to do what I did. So while in there, slowly as I kind of came back around, um, they had moved me to the other side where you had access to TV, access to more crafts and things like that. They kind of had a little bit more trust in you, um, more food and stuff like that. So um it felt good to kind of get over to that side and I felt like I was getting quite a bit of help while I was in there and I wanted to continue on with that help. And, um, that's when, uh, my parents had been alerted that they needed to come pick me up and had been alerted what was going on that I'd been checked into the, the psych ward. So my parents, Uh, loaded up in a vehicle and drove 17 hours straight to come get me 
And when I get got checked out of the hospital, um, they had decided that they were going to take me home, um, which <laughs> is totally a reasonable response to um, being called by a hospital mm-hmm. being told that your son attempted to commit suicide and is in the psych ward. But unfortunately, because I was still with that person, I felt that that was very unfair. I didn't want to go home. I wanted to go back to my apartment. I wanted to stay there and I wanted to keep living kind of life by my own accord, Mm -hmm. Um, even if that wasn't a good decision. But there was kind of some harm bringing me back. I am thankful for it in in the long term. But when they brought me back, um, things got worse with, um, my partner at the time, but they still, I still felt trapped. I still felt like I couldn't leave. So I simply didn't leave my bed and just stayed there for the entire time. Um, I, that's actually when I started watching anime again, um, because it kind of helped me motivate myself and deal with a lot of my feelings. It was a positive message that I kind of needed when everything felt negative. And it's something that I really enjoyed as a kid, but it's something that I'm very passionate about now because of the time it came back in my life and the courage it gave me to do some of the things that I had to do. But um, still being in that relationship, I felt very trapped. So um, now I was home. Now I was, um, you know, back 17 hours away from this person that I was, you know, in my head supposed to be with. So I uh, sold my truck at the time, which is really heartbreaking uh, because of how much I love that truck, because it was something that had been saved for me from my parents, my grandparents, from the time I was essentially born. Um, It was something very um, sentimental to me. And I sold it for money so that I could go back to um, Minnesota and um, be, be with that person again. And then that's when things got really bad because I was taken away. Um, during that time, she used the fact that I was so far away as a way to be like, um, I don't trust you. You're too far away, this and that and the other thing. Mm-hmm. And things got even more toxic from a already very, very toxic um, environment. And on top of that, I felt very trapped Um, like I couldn't leave and like the only solution was to go back. So I did go back and, um, ultimately, um, things kept declining, getting worse and worse. Like I said, she had used an email, um, along other really stupid, tiny things that didn't make any sense when you go back and look at them now to, um, sexually assault me, to, um, physically abuse me, to hit me, to tell me I wasn't worth using the toilet and that I had to go shit out in the woods to lock me in an apartment for weeks on ends with very little food. Um, I believe I lost like 30 pounds over the course of probably two to three months, um, my body got really, really frail and weak. And, um, so yeah, um, it it was pretty bad. Um, so I, I did go back 
And eventually I got an apartment of my own, which meant I had more access to some food and stuff like that. And to be able to do a few more things on my own, but um, I still had the tracker up. I still had to take pictures of myself. I still felt trapped. I couldn't really go anywhere, but I had a little bit of my own space and I bought allergy medication and uh, they sold it in like big patches of like 365 pills. So, um, which um, upon a another fight or something that had had happened um, and I felt like I needed to be dead I proceeded to take probably half to two-thirds of that pill bottle and attempt to kill myself with it Um, I had another experience like I remember I couldn't even use my fingers to type to like formulate thoughts in real words like just gibberish came out um, everything was weird. Um, again, I puked it all up, but I was probably out of sorts for about eight hours of just blacking out and essentially dying. And I remember when I did finally come to and get settled, um, she just didn't care anymore. Um, I think, you know, she had done what she wanted out of the relationship. She was looking for somebody to abuse and control. And when I had kind of served my purpose, um, there was just wasn't any feelings left where she either, she felt I was so trapped that whether she cared or not, I would stick around or whether um, she just didn't care enough to even pretend like she cared anymore. Um, The past situations, the difference had been that every time something had happened, she had chosen to show enough caringness that I would stick around and continue to feel trapped and like I felt obligated to be there, whereas this time she didn't. So I finally kind of um, came to enough that I had called my mom and said, like, uh, I'm ready to come home. And there was a little bit of pushback at the start. I'm like, no, like, I need a flight out of here, like, tomorrow. So thankfully, they they, they did that, and they got me a flight back. And um, I ended things with um, the partner at the time and decided I was going to start putting my life back together. Um, mm-hmm. And very scary sorts um it wasn't easy by any means i moved back home and i probably spent um probably at least a solid week just laying in bed staring at the ceiling um not wanting to do anything with my life um i felt very useless very trapped very much like an empty shell like I didn't really have anything left for um, friends or I didn't really have the relationship with my family that was very strained at the point I had lost this partner that I'd spent all of my energy and effort into trying to be what they thought I needed to be in order to make this relationship work Um, and then I you know I lost it all my body was failing me. I was no longer a college football player, the thing that I'd worked super, super hard to achieve. There wasn't 
really anything left, just a bunch of very broken pieces. And um, a friend of mine who found out I was home had reached out to me for me to work out with him. So I, I think my mom had reached out to him. I'm not sure what she had told him, but probably something along the lines of um, like Max's home. Um, and uh, he reached out. He's like, we should get in a workout together. So, you know, at the time it was kind of like, oh yeah, that's something that I used to enjoy. I was working out. I should probably do this. So um, he came and picked me up because I didn't have a vehicle at the time. Um, and I went with my very frail, very weak body to go work out. And I'd gone from in college squatting probably over somewhere, somewhere over 300 pounds to, I think we put like the, just the 45 pound bar on my back. And I crumpled underneath it like an accordion. I couldn't even squat the 45 pound bar, which was embarrassing at the time, but it was also like a realization moment of like everything had kind of come to me is like, wow, like what has happened to my body? Like I mm -hmm. used to be so capable and now I'm not. And I think it was really like a good relationship is like the, the less capable I was mentally, the less capable I was physically. The less capable I was physically, the less capable I was mentally. So working out, no matter how hard it was and how embarrassing it was, gave me a sense of control back in my life when I felt that I really had nothing. So I continued going to the gym with him and going back to the gym. And I slowly started to physically feel like I was more capable and my body started to kind of rebuild itself. And what I realized is the more I'd kind of um, restored myself to a state of feeling more physically capable, the more I felt like I was in control of my depression and my emotions. So it kind of clicked to me because up to that point in time in my life, what I had kind of said I wanted to do, like I knew I loved working out. I knew I loved fitness. I knew I loved sports. My goal to that point in life was I wanted to be a high level strength and conditioning coach for athletes. But I had then shifted my focus. I came to this realization that um, this, you know, exercising is something that I had been using for my mental health, whether it be in healthy ways or not growing up. Um, exercise is something that really helped me with my mental health and managing it. And I wanted the ability to help others in the same type of way. Mm -hmm. So I decided that I was going to become a personal trainer. I got certified um, for personal training and it became kind of my passion, my livelihood and something that I had put all of my focus into doing um, because I was really passionate about helping people with their physical and mental health. And then eventually that led to me moving to Calgary, becoming a full-time trainer. And um, training was something that I struggled with initially because I, I had all of the skills and the knowledge that I felt I needed. 
Um, I was maybe a little bit naive at the time, and I've come to realize maybe I didn't know everything that I thought I knew. But at the time, I thought that I had all of the skills and knowledge that I could ever want, but I still struggled a little bit with that connecting with people piece of things. So that's kind of when I realized that when I opened up about my story and I allowed myself to be vulnerable with people, it gave them permission to open up and be vulnerable with me Mm -hmm. and to trust me. And that's when I started to see not only that I was getting more clients, but also that my sessions, my conversations, and my sense of passion felt more meaningful and more purposeful that I was actually helping people and making a difference in people's lives through these connections. And that's, that's something that's held with me kind of throughout my whole training career, as well as my whole life is when you're present with people, you're able to connect with them better Mm -hmm. and do a better job of, I guess, uh, of helping people and being there for them and it makes it easier for them. So yeah, that's kind of where I started sharing my story, obviously never this front to back like this, but this is pretty much my whole story. And I guess, um, since then I've just kept showing up for myself. I've kept working on myself and I've slowly been able to accept a lot of these negative things as life lessons like as crappy as that relationship was as crappy as all of those feelings were it taught me that i never wanted to let myself get treated like that um, again Mm -hmm. and part of getting down to that was finding the root of what allowed her to treat me like that because you know is she you know were the things that she did to me right Absolutely not. But there's still a level of self-responsibility of even though I felt trapped and felt escaped and that I was manipulated, I still allowed those things to happen to me. And the fact that I have the power to never allow myself to be treated like that again is a very empowering feeling. It is, you know, it gives me a sense of liberation. It is, you know, the level of, you know, whether I get into relationships with people in the future, if anybody treated me like that again, I would walk away because I love myself and I value myself too much to allow myself to get treated like that again, mm-hmm. um, to allow anybody to bring me to that low of a level. Even though I do still struggle with my depression and um, my emotions from time to time, I have gotten better at managing them the, just by continuing to work on it, continuing to push forward and continuing to just try to have a healthier outlook on things. And, you know, a big part of, like I mentioned before, I used to exercise from a place of, I hate myself. I want to change myself to make myself better. Whereas now I flipped a lot of that mentality to now I work out because I want to be a better version of myself because I love and care about myself. Mm -hmm. So everything comes from a place of love and care now. And that has helped me a lot with my uh, depression, my anxiety, and my mental health. Um, The suicidal thoughts do still come from time to time. I'd be lying if I said that they never came, especially in times of very, very high stress. But I have been able to manage them better. I have not made an attempt um, since 
the last one. Um, I do not believe I've self-harmed since then as well. Um, so there's that aspect to it as well. But, um, you know, as time has gone better on, I've been better at managing those emotions. And I've been in situations since then where some of those feelings of, you know, suicide and self-harm have arisen, but I've been able to better remind myself like, hey, you've been through these things before, you're going to be okay. Mm -hmm. Just fight through the feelings a little bit longer. And that's kept me from self-harming myself and from attempting suicide. And in turn, that's um, given me a good sense of power of I've been able to better manage my emotions, you know, every day, every month, every year, more that I keep practicing it. So yeah, I mean, I'm sure that's not 100% everything. Um, I'm sure I'm missing some bits and pieces here. There's so many avenues you can dive through, but that's essentially my story from front to back, more or less. Tune in again next week to hear more of Max's story and more questions that I have for him about his whole mental health journey. Thank you so much for tuning in today. Feel free to reach out at any time. You can contact me on Instagram and Facebook at StompTheStigmaYYC and you can email me at StompTheStigmaYYC at gmail.com. If you like the podcast, please like and subscribe on YouTube, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or Apple Podcasts. And if you or someone you know would like to come on, I would love to have you share your story, speak your truth, and together we can stomp the stigma.